I'm sorry, did you say it's a squirrel? I want a squirrel divine beast. I don't know how it's going to work. I just, I need to start with this concept and world build it out to fit. Okay. But like Where the concept of a the squirrel, squirrel divine beast. Like what region do you see the squirrel as being in? It's got to be in the Faron region. <laughs> or the Faron region. Yeah, yeah. woods. Um, admittedly, a divine beast in the, in the Korok woods uh, would very dramatically change the timeline because if Ganon can wreak havoc there and kill the Deku tree, the Master Sword's not getting protected. Oh, um, fuck. You know, I was thinking of, like, all the Koroks getting together for a whimsy-powered railgun. But, no, damn, this is the bad ending. Okay, Squirrel's not gonna cut it. Red, what's your idea? Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast. I am joined by Red. But who are you? What but I am Blue, <laughs> and we are speaking to you from the distant past, Whoa. because this episode is severely pre-recorded. <laughs> In fact, we recorded it two days after recording our last podcast episode. Yeah, I'm still recovering from that slightly sore throat I mentioned, and I'm drinking a different but equally kind of gross-tasting pot of hot leaf water. Um <laughs> You wound me. <laughs> Every intro, somehow we find a way to make Blue hurt with Red's tea commentary. This bag okay. is staying in the entire time. I, if, if we were recording in the same room, I would kill you with my own two hands right this second. <laughs> How fortunate, therefore, that we are relying on the telecommunications technology of the future. Uh, dang it, that's too good of a segue into that mine. That was a really good segue. We had more Shit. intro banter, but honestly, I kind of just want to go to it now. So the, the, essentially, the way this podcast is going to work right. is we have seen each other's videos that are about to go up, but none of you have yet. At now, time of recording. Yeah, at time of recording. Yeah, none of you have. The present so we for are, us is not the present for you. So we are like cold reading the heck out of these videos. We're really like taking strong guesses at what the top comments are going to be, attempting <laughs> to quote them verbatim before they're even written. Uh, but essentially, we've seen each other's videos. Uh, we're going to talk about them, but uh, if there was any uh, spicy business or particularly fun insights in the comments of these videos, we, we don't, don't know. We, no. we haven't seen him yet. Uh, we haven't figured out how to do future scrying, uh, mm -hmm. but we, we can take a look into the, the past history of telecommunications and how that winds up affecting the stories we tell. So, Red, talk to us about this very rabbit holey trope talk that I had a blast watching. Oh, I'm so glad, because uh, I had a blast doing it, uh, but there were a few times through the process where I was like, does this make any sense? Uh, is this good? <laughs> um, so... The story, and I, I sort of go into a little bit of detail about this at the very end of the video, like why did I make this video, uh, is that I had this odd little moment of revelation while I was working out plot stuff for my comic, and I was like, hey, you know, I just kind of casually added just like a way for people to like, you know, do message spells and long distance, you know, stuff like that, so they can coordinate across distances, and and it's like... It's a little, it feels weird. It feels a little bit weird because there's all these tropes I like from classic fantasy that are hard for me to make happen now. But I didn't do anything different. This is this is a very simple concept. Like, this makes a lot of things easier. This solves Most a lot of dangerous self-affirmation. This is simple. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is basic. This is, it makes sense that any high magic story would have characters that wanted to do this if it was possible because... Being out of communication is such a hassle, and it's it's maybe even harder to write that way because it's like, oh, if the characters aren't in communication, well, how is this one supposed to show up and rescue the other one when something goes wrong? How are these two supposed to coincidentally end up in the same place at the same time? Of course, the answer is, in old stories, they would just coincidentally end up in the same place at the same time, or the person would come to the rescue and be like, oh, I got worried when you didn't show or something like that. Like, there are ways to do this. Yeah. But this was a situation where I was like, this, this was the easy route. Why is this making the... the you know, why is this making certain of these situations difficult to contrive? And then I started thinking through like, hey, yeah, it's almost like these tropes developed in a space of stories where this just didn't happen, where you just didn't have characters that could magically communicate across distances. Like, I know that the tech and the magic existed in different universes, but it really feels like we're coming at this from a completely different, you know, paradigm. I should text Blue about this. Wait a second. <laughs> um, so I had, I mean, this wasn't exactly the, the most shocking revelation in the world, I guess. But it was one of those things that I, I think was interesting because of how, how used to it we are now. You know, now that cell phones have been 
very common, you know, pieces of tech for over a decade at this point. Uh, it's like the way that we see the world and the way that we see communication has just adapted to that. That's just how we work. We are extremely flexible beings when it comes to adapting to new situations. You may have noticed over the last few years, we've adapted to certain things that were literal apocalypses in previous sto fictional stories. Like, yeah. I, I didn't really go into it in the video, but like, I, I did sort of mention this is just one of the rabbit holes of how normalcy percolates into storytelling. And it's like, I'll just say it. Any story before where, like, the threat that the heroes are trying to stop is some kind of bioweapon hits very different now. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's this weird balance of, oh, God, that's horrifying, and meh. <laughs> I had a very I'll, – I'll be specific, actually. This is a fun example. I can, I can do a little mini-trope talk. So there's an episode of Leverage. Um a very odd one. It's tonally quite distinct from the rest. It feels a lot more like a quickie 45-minute Mission Impossible movie. Um, and basically, uh, instead of having, oh, we got to run a scam on this guy, uh, the bad guy of the week is basically a virologist who uh, um, bioengineers a strain of the Spanish flu, pretty much, and is going to release it in, like, the subway tunnels under the city, and they have to stop him. Oh, and there's, fuck. Yeah, and there's a bit, there's a bit, I've mentioned this before, the trope where you have the funny haha -ha character be the one who freaks out, and this is a way to signify, like, this is really, really bad. They do that. Uh, Hardison, oh, the funny haha -ha no. hacker character, is the one who's like, oh, God, that's like, that would be millions dead. This is unthinkable. And I was just sitting there, June of 2020, like... <laughs> Wow. Yeah. Oh my <laughs> like, gosh. Like yeah, like, but also Hardison. Yeah, but also you know it's it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it is at once like oh my like oh that is horrible, but also like yeah no can confirm. I'm still like <sighs> yeah. Fuck. Like, <laughs> torn, it sucks. torn between it's, the, it's these been very weird bad, we, feelings. We've had to adjust because you cannot live your entire life constantly panicking. It just doesn't work. After a while, your brain runs out of panic juice and you go back to doing things normally. Or even you if you pass are, out. <laughs> yeah, or you pass out. Intellectually, you are aware that things are very, very bad, but it stops feeling, it stops feeling like it. Like you still know and you still act wisely according to your precautions about the danger that you intellectually recognize is there. But it's not the same thing as feeling that, oh God, that would be terrible. It's like, yeah, it was. But you still got to eat, you still got to do yeah. your job and, you know, all that stuff. So yeah. it was just an odd little feeling of like, that hits different. But also like, if you'd shown that episode to somebody in 1918 during the Spanish flu, they'd be like, yeah, it does suck. Thanks for noticing. Like, again, it, it wouldn't have to be like, what's this picture box? <laughs> yeah. The, well, yeah, that too. But like the normalcy of that situation only makes sense if you live in a world that hasn't had a global pandemic in a very long time. Um, yeah. And it's that sort of thing that shifts slowly or even fairly quickly, but on the order of like years that yeah. we adjust to. And then we often notice Oh, that's weird when we look back at the stories from a different era and we see reflected in them the normalcy that we hadn't even realized we'd moved away from. Yeah. I, I think the the overarching point about normalcy and, and what things seem casual and, and straightforward, like, I'm talking to you, but I'm not talking to you, and mm -hmm. I'm not right now talking to you. Like, all these, the, these, these simple things that we understand when we watch YouTube videos, like, that person is not actually... Uh, doing this this horribly uh, dangerous but really interesting explosive experiment right yeah. now. Um, <laughs> we're we're watching this uh, played back, but the the ways in which you just go through like point by point the history of communications technology from like the telegram to mobile phones uh, <laughs> everywhere is is really cool. I um, just from a, a, a technological point alone it's interesting but the way that that also like weaves into the story structure and what we can can do with those things i thought was really really fascinating to see yeah i have that big timeline frame i'm not sure if it's visible unfortunately at the full resolution it's big and weird uh but i do scroll through it so if you pause you can kind of see it and it's like yeah. there's stuff there it's like invention of fire allows for smoke signals across a distance you know talking drums allow for sound signals across a distance stuff like that but the way i framed it in in my notes and it sort of made it into the video but really only in that one diagram was like what are the drawbacks of this technology what are the limitations and it's like you look at a cell phone you're like you can call somebody instantly from anywhere in the world as long as you have battery and service and stuff like that whatever that's fine um and then it's like but there is still a limitation the limitation is they have to pick up the phone at the right time they have yeah. a window of time in which they need to be able to receive the call and you know what doesn't have that problem 
texting. Yeah. <laughs> you can leave the message there and they can respond at their leisure. And I think that's why hey, people joke like, I have a cell phone and I hate using it as a phone. And it's like, we we trend towards maximum efficiency and minimum hassle. And the hassle of a phone is it puts me on the spot time-wise. Yeah. It, it adds a limiter that texting doesn't have. So essentially we've circled back around to the technological level of like the telegram and more broadly the postal service because the fact is writing is an incredibly useful technology for preserving information. We just so want to send letters really, really, really well. <laughs> that's basically it. It's like we found all these ways. It, it, it's, it's interesting seeing the weird little loops uh, of like technological development that were going off in different directions and then sort of we're like, actually, no. Like the picture phone. Like we finally figured out how to do the picture phone. We're doing that right now. We're on a video call, even though you guys at home can't see it. And it's useful because we can, you know, see each other's reactions because it makes for a better recording. But outside of this, like, we often don't do that. Yeah. Um, it, I, I do think, though, like, your point about, like, families that use video calling is just, like, their go-to thing now. It's not just, like, oh, we've decided we only want to text. It's, you know, we have right. these options. We can specify them to the different things. And I think I, I really like this trope talk a lot. It's probably one of my, like, like top three or five just in oh, terms of, of, of interest, um, even if it skews away from the actual, like, writing bits of it. I just think mm. the 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 educational exercise is really cool and I, I felt a little bit of a vibe of like with the um the H bomber guy Roblox underscore mp3 where yes. it's like there's a point in the video where it's like sane people stop watching here <laughs> and then the rabbit hole unfurls but I, yeah. I felt like this video when I was watching it last night I was like this video is the trope talk equivalent of you're manually breathing now you're noticing exactly where your tongue is in your mouth oh, God. Oh, <laughs> and like God. like all these things at once just like when it's called out and the normalcy is questioned, it's like, oh my God, here are all these assumptions that I'm coasting on that I'm recognizing all at once. And it was very fun to have yeah. that like, just blast of like, oh geez, this isn't normal for anyone, but people have grown up in the last, you know, like however many years. Yeah. So I, I, mean, I thought that was really cool. It's a thought exercise I do a lot. I think it's very helpful. Just like, cause you know, even on the small scale, it's like, wow, I'm walking outside and there's clouds overhead and it's beautiful. And I didn't have to see that, but I can see it. You know, just mm -hmm. the sort of like normalcy is invisibility. And there are a number of beautiful and incredible and amazing things we've gotten used to. And it can take a little bit of work to sort of be like, no, hold on. Like, I, I know my pattern recognizing brain knows what I'm looking at, but like, let's take a step back and be like, yeah, that's still beautiful. That's still cool. Um, and at the flip side, sometimes it can be like, oh my God, we take so many things for granted. What's happening? And then the rabbit hole begins because yeah. there's a reason why our brains are so good at blocking things out once we already know how they work. It's like, okay, that's a factor I understand. I'm going to continue being a pattern recognizing engine that's designed to help me survive in this world. I cannot constantly be freaking out about how that world works. But sometimes yeah. it's nice to indulge in little like, Ah, so yeah. I had a good time with it, and I'm glad you liked it. It, it was probably one of my favorite trope talks, uh, and I'm excited to see what the audience says once we Me get uh, once we catch cool. up with the present. Um, <laughs> but that'll be a thing to, to double back to for next podcast. In yes, the meantime, and on the subject of time. Yes, uh, and people going, ah! Uh, my my <laughs> video was uh, following in my, my new Grease series, going painstakingly back um, from the very beginning up to what will eventually be the modern day shortly at some point in the future. Huh. Uh, the next section of Greek history is after the, the Minoans and Mycenaeans. We get to the Bronze Age collapse and into the Dark Ages, described in the title of this video as the Ancient Greek Post-Apocalypse, which was yes. your title suggestion read. It was, yeah. Which also I... contributed to like one of my favorite thumbnails I've probably ever oh, I made. I had no idea what it was going to look like going in, and I was like, I can do like a one-two concept here um, with the Ghibli yeah. apocalypse vibes that were just like, oh, hits so well. When I read the script, I was like, I think that this is a really, really good angle. I think that this melancholic vibe of like, like getting into the headspace of somebody living in that window of centuries, just like, we know the world used to be better. We know we used to have ways to deal with this stuff. But for various reasons, we just can't pull it together. You know, there's yeah. there's pirates, there's no trade, everything's in ruins, it would take so much work to rebuild. It's, you know, we don't have the time, the energy, or the food to burn energy on trying to rebuild our civilization. So yeah. we just have to sing about it. And I was like, this is heartbreaking. Like, yeah. I know it turns out okay <laughs> until Rome explodes later, but like, I know, but at the same time, it's still spooky. Yeah. And I was like, "Here's hear me out. Like, you could call this the Greek Dark Ages, or we could go a little clickbait on this one. <laughs> <laughs> Hear me out. Ancient Greek post-apocalypse. And I was like, yeah. yeah, for some reason, the phrase ancient apocalypse is in my head. Not sure where it came from. I don't <laughs> think we should use that specifically, though. And that, that was the logic there. Um, yeah. But it 
it was such a fun story to go through because, you know, in, in past videos it was like, yeah, so there were the Minoans and Mycenaeans before and then they fell apart and there was a Dark Age. And anyway, now on to the, the, the Polis Age and the Iron Age and stuff. And I'm going back, I'm like, wait, wait, there's videos for each of those. There's plenty <laughs> to dig into here. And at, at first I was going to go from like Minoans, Mycenaeans into... Uh, Polis Age, and as I was researching Mycenaeans, I was like, oh shit, there's a lot here with the epics, hold on. So I just needed to, to keep building and building and building, and it's like, okay, so they rediscovered writing, but how? Um, and like, okay, it was the Phoenicians, but but what were they doing there? Why? What civilizations, or what, um, what societies specifically within Dark Age Greece were they interacting with? Places like Lefkandi, like, um, like Attica, early Athens. Um, and then seeing like why those things came about, explaining the linguistic process of actually creating an alphabet and, and, and what it meant for um, the Greeks. I had a whole separate thing on, on the process of, of streamlining, streamlining and like making the alphabet consistent and how it didn't actually happen until very late in the game. And there was yeah. only really like one style of writing the Greek alphabet when like Alexander showed up and standardized the Greek language for export to people who never spoke Greek before. I just had to cut that. That's going in a future video <laughs> somewhere because again, I don't have time. There's so much stuff to talk about here. Oh, so I, I really had fun digging into the angle with the epics and the difficulty in carrying that story orally because like okay so we don't have text sure but people can tell the story like yeah if they still bother to when they're trying to just like get their shit together and survive that's yeah. their main priority that's the tough so, part so yeah. i mean i still can't get over that the trojan war was a real thing like my yeah. brain is still stuck on like oh my god really like it's so rare that we get a myth that was actually historically based yeah. that's it's everyone's like, favorite conspiracy probably theory. not for helen the characters involved almost certainly weren't as as exaggerated as they would have been but the 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 kernels in there of giant war late in the game all the heads of state die. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, that that's really the thing. I think a lot of the time people are very tempted to be like, let's dig into the specific details. And it's like the specific details, like the character details, are the things that are the easiest for a poet to change yeah. or tweak. Like, I... I don't want to derail this, but I recently Go had off. a moment of revelation of like, I know exactly why stories drift so much because I did that my, myself once when I was little. Um, when I was when I was quite small, we would do Passover seders and the kids, we would be like, we sh we'll put on a little play of the story of the plagues of Egypt. And I remember changing the story from year to year because I thought it would be more interesting. Moses like I has a gun. <laughs> no, 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 Moses has a gun. But like one year I was like, yeah, the plague of the firstborn is really bad, but wouldn't it be extra cool if the Pharaoh himself was a firstborn and then he dies. And I was like, why would there be an age limit on the plague of the firstborn? And, you know, my parents had to be like, no, no, that's not really. But, like, that's the thing. It's like, that's a huge change. It's like, yeah, the pharaoh dies because of that. I made that up because I thought it would be cool and, and play well to the crowd of my relatives. Um, <laughs> and it's like, with, with the innocence of, uh, like, a eight-year-old, you know, I didn't understand that I was tweaking with a major religious text. I just Later archaeologists are like, we can see in the poet Red's retelling there's a strong anti-pharaoh bias that seeps into modifications made to the plot. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we yes. can presume that chapter 10 was added later. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing. It's like I can see why these things change because each individual teller has the parts of the story that they think, hey, yeah. this would be more interesting if I did this or this I'd punch this up better. Or like, hey, I'm singing this to a crowd that already knows the story. I got to do something with it they haven't heard before or they'll get bored. Um, yeah. And, you know. So you cannot trust any individual character detail from one telling to be like, this is real. We could find this dead guy or something like that. Like, probably not. But the major beats, the shape of the story, there was a war. The Achaeans sailed to Troy and besieged it and then burned it and then went home with the survivors, of which there were few. And then the ones that came home died. Yeah. That probably really happened, especially yeah. since we found Troy and it's been burned. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. What I love about doing that kind of thing with myths is the combination of, like, we, we, we break it down into its constituent components, and we find what are, like, plausible historical kernels of truth that were embellished, but the way in which it was embellished does not just make for an interesting story, but that also tells us a lot about not the event, but the tellers. So everything that is exaggerated, embellished, the drama of, of all this stuff in the Trojan War, the Iliad and the Odyssey, that tells us so much about the storytellers themselves in the Dark Age and the early Polis Age, because 
all of the embellishments are the sadness, the 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 death that just surrounds the society, all of the piracy, yeah. all of the the war, and and all of this this pain that just perfuses. That's not a word that suffuses, <laughs> permeates. Yeah, fuck pervades. it. The yeah pervades the the <laughs> you story. Like fused all of the words that mean that <laughs> into one giga word that somehow means nothing. <laughs> if Shakespeare can do it, so can I. Um, but like this. This 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 vibe of just pure dolor uh, and, and sadness and sorrow for, yeah. for the lost civilization is very indicative of the the mindset of these poets who carried it through. And I just I think it's really cool to be able to see that in the telling as we're we're reading through it. Um, but I I was gonna say. Um, it's also cool to see the things that changed. Like Aphrodite was an import from later. She wasn't yeah. there. You know, she didn't exist in the Pantheon during the Mycenaean period. She was brought by the Phoenicians. Which makes so, it interesting that the Trojan Wall is her, Trojan War is her fault. Yeah. Like, huh. That's that's something. I don't that's know what it something. is, but it's something. It, yeah. it clearly gets to some idea um, that the original tellers would have either consciously or subconsciously had in their minds. So... It's like that. That's probably a whole other video is explaining like what the fuck is Aphrodite's deal in this war. <laughs> but it's it's cool. And even though you know, again, she wasn't there in the pantheon, her inclusion leads us to understand a lot more things than we might have done otherwise by looking at you know what does that say um, from the the storyteller's perspective. And I, I just think that's cool. Oh um, yeah, definitely. But there was one more thing that I was going to try to mention. I totally just I got I got <laughs> stuck on on the Aphrodite plot point. Um, she has a habit of doing that. Uh, you know? You know? Unsure. Yeah. I but guess I, some knowledge is just truly lost. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, I really did um, have a, a good time uh, talking through this this whole period. And it was kind of hard to represent visually because, like, what what stuff do we have to show? Nothing. Cool. Okay. It's <laughs> so like, okay, there's two shots of left candy, and that's that's pretty much it in terms of of stuff but oh one, one thing was a, a conspiracy that I, I tricked myself into and then had to like wrench myself out of because I realized I I was falling into something based on on incomplete evidence was I nearly managed to convince myself that part of the reason that Troy was such a coveted prize late in the Bronze Age was because they were the only source of um, copper uh, in the Aegean copper or tin yeah because the two yeah. chemical p- components for bronze are copper and tin and I remembered from somewhere that um, you can find some copper in kind of the south Aegean, you can find some some tin in the north, or maybe I have it backwards. Um, and I realized, why do I have it backwards? It's because a couple different sources that I was going for on this had kind of different claims of like where the major bronze and tin deposits, or uh, copper and tin deposits were in mm. the process of making bronze. And there were probably some small deposits locally, but in terms of like getting a full bronze-based economy going, you need more. And I was researching, like, what the heck? So I nearly convinced myself of this, like, oh, the Mycenaeans invaded Troy to get raw materials for bronze, Mm. and then it all fell apart anyway. Uh, But then I did more research, and I'm like, oh, this is actually, like, the question of where the tin and copper came from is a heavily debated component in academia, and tin probably came as far as Wales and Cornwall. Mm. Cool. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna cut this out. So I, like, (laughs) added this thing at the last minute thinking I was onto something brilliant. I'm like, no, hold on. I need to research this more before I go spouting anything. So I I just ripped it out. (laughs) I mean, there's a little bit in the video about, like, the the deposits of copper and tin and the locations of them were important, but it doesn't really go full to, like, this is why Mycenaean Greece fell. Yeah, so I basically stood by, like, okay, these are hard to source because they come from different places and therefore bronze fell off the map. Iron's underneath everywhere in central Greece, so there you go. But... Um, anyway, uh, anyway, enough of that. I really like that video. I'm looking forward to, to continuing on the timeline of, of Greek videos as we go through. Uh, I worry because it is entirely possible that I'll start getting really granular with each video. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to fall too hard into the trap, but I can. You can. So, um, There's in an any case, amount of cool stuff to discuss in history. There is. Um, but quick announcements. Um, at time of uh, this podcast going up, we are about to launch our spring cleaning sale for our mm-hmm. pins. Um, we have some pins that are just kind of hanging out in stock um, that uh, we want to turn over to you guys uh, to buy if you missed a chance earlier. So for the next uh, two weeks, starting most likely this Friday and then going for two weeks after that, we're going to have all of our um, uh, black frame original style pins. None of the golds. That was a special thing. We're not we're not bringing those back. Um, those are going to be in stock uh, for two weeks for you to grab if you'd like. 
And uh, those of you who haven't received your Ursa Major pins should be getting them soon because they're uh, currently in the process of shipping out. So that's very exciting. We're looking forward to getting those little glow-in-the-dark guys. Me too. Um, super, super jazzed to, to see how those turn out. But uh, if you missed them earlier, um, the pins that are in stock uh, will be available for purchase. Some of them are sold out. We're not going to bring those back. That'll be for the end of the year. This is just pure spring cleaning. So it's like, oh, you know, if you miss one in your collection, you want to fill in the, the gaps a little bit. This is what that's for. Yep. This is just getting rid of what we still have stock for. But yeah. everything will be restocked for Black Friday later in the year. So if yep. you missed something that isn't restocked, don't despair. Yes. Yeah. But uh, very excited for that because, man, I love those pins. They're Me so too. shiny. They go click clack. That's great. <laughs> But that's all we've got to announce uh, on our side of things, and we can hop over to the Q&A portion of the podcast. Yeah. Hello and welcome to the Q&A portion of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast, where we answer your questions from Ask OS Pod on Discord. Normally, this first question would come from one of our lovely patrons, but because this is the next fifth episode in the, the 65th in the general lineup of the OS Pod, it is in fact time for another... A little lightning round. So yeah. we're going to be going Woo. through super quick and just saying whether we've seen, watched, read, etc. Some of the different pieces of media and authors and whatnot that you guys have suggested over the years. Um, keeping it brief and breezy. Sure. So without further ado, uh, Love, Death, and Robots. Uh, no. Yes, I've seen some of the first season. It's a little, like, mini thing on Netflix where it's just a bunch of different little shorts um, on the yeah, prompt of, like, anthology. make something about love, death, yeah. or robots. I've heard about this. I think I've I, seen some of the animation from Corridor Crew doing those animators' reactions. Yeah, I, I like it. I, I quite enjoyed it. Um, I don't remember which ones I saw. I think Troy Baker's in one in the second season. Yeah. Um, like a lot of anthology I, series, them... I feel like some of them are really good and some of them are like fine yeah. yeah that's the benefit um, of anthology series you can have the really bad ones without dragging the whole thing down yeah no mm -hmm. i liked it I, I i did really enjoy it uh the feed by nick clark window no no the book of boba fett <laughs> no <laughs> no sorry <laughs> Saw a lot of gifs and memes about it it was really good season 2.5 of the mandalorian if you ignore the fact that it undoes the entire point of the season 2 finale but sure yeah, <laughs> uh hilda hilda yes no yes. i have not oh it's so good and uh since we've been to iceland i now know that the most fantastical part of hilda is that there are forests everywhere um <laughs> uh psychopaths no no panic at the disco panic at the disco the band uh yeah yeah yeah, yeah they're good i mean didn't they just like recently end yeah yeah uh, yeah. Some of their songs are bangers, though. I, I, I'm I a fan. There was like a two-week straight in high school where the only thing I listened to was Death of a Bachelor. It's when a Death real fun vibe. I also like that because of that, like, every person who's about to get married is like, I've got a song to sing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, His Dark Materials. The oh, yeah. YA thing. Uh, the book series or the show or the movie? They God did forbid. not specify, so all okay. of them? Yeah. I read the books. I don't remember much about them. I think I was, like, I was in the age range. I just think it got a little bit arcane for me after a while. Mm. Um, but, yeah, no, I read them. I, I liked them. Uh, and I watched the movie, and it's bad. And I haven't watched the show, but I've heard it's good. I um, I read The Golden Compass in, like, fifth grade. And by read, I mean I read the first chapter, got bored, skipped to the end, and read the last page. And I'm like, well, this doesn't make any sense. Like, of course it doesn't. It's not <laughs> how reading why. works. <laughs> Speed run strat. Yeah. Backwards long jump Stranger through the uh, first chapter. Things. Uh, like four episodes once, but nothing since. I, I watched the first season, watched a little bit of the second season, kind of fell off the wagon. People started liking it again in this fourth season, apparently, so good mm -hmm. good for them. I'm glad they're enjoying it, but I, I've only seen the first season. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Legends of the Galactic Heroes. No. That sounds familiar, but no. Uh, something Rotten. Nope. Nope. Sounds like a Hamlet something it's or other. It's a musical. Oh. I do like the song Hard to Be the Bard from that. Shakespeare is a character in that musical. He is kind of the antagonist uh, from what I remember of it. Um, James Bond, the movies or book. Uh, the movie, Some of the movies, sure. Yeah, I've seen some of the movies. Yeah, I haven't yeah. seen the, um, the most recent ones, but um i liked the first half of skyfall before it becomes home alone <laughs> it yeah. got significantly worse after it became home alone <laughs> let's be real skyfall peaked in the opening credits and we all know it yeah 
<laughs> uh, Sekiro, Shadows Die Twice. No. It's really fun to watch people play it. I'm very bad at it. Yeah. <laughs> the Outfit, which is apparently no. set in Mars, Venice. Huh, that's kind of cool. I find myself compelled to investigate, but no, I haven't seen it. <laughs> Aria. Uh, I don't no think idea. so. Yeah. I mean, I have heard an aria in an yeah. opera, but... <laughs> I believe this is in reference to an anime, um, but oh, I don't know. Oh, no. no. <laughs> uh, I love how we're both Kuni. immediately like, oh, no. <laughs> I haven't watched any anime made since 2020. <laughs> uh, Nino Kuni, which is a game. Oh. Uh, does it count if I watched the uh, zero punctuation about it? <laughs> If it does, then I've played every game. Um, I, I've been at someone's house while they were playing it, but I didn't really understand what was going on or why the White Witch was so wrathful. Mm -hmm. uh, Kuta Hirano's Drifters. Nope. No. This episode's a bloodbath. Wait, Kuta Hirano, did he make Helsing? Ooh. I think he did. Let me check. <laughs> In the meantime, uh, the Jurassic Park or Jurassic World movies, it's the whole franchise. Yes. Yeah. Kodor Hano did make uh, Helsing. He's cool. Mm. Uh, um, I've seen some, I've seen the first Jurassic Park and one of the Jurassic Worlds. It's not good. Jurassic Park is good though. Yeah. I, yes. I've, I think I've seen Jurassic Park and then Jurassic World and then the other ones. <laughs> Jurassic Park movies are some of my all time favorite movies. Um, I love how much paleontologists is... love them. Yeah. Yes. Uh, My Revolution by Miracle of Sound. Uh, no. No, but we like a lot of his other songs. <laughs> uh, and the last one here is Spires, just the concept and architecture. I mean, sure, yeah. No, big, big fan. Notre Dame's getting a new one soon. That's <laughs> exciting. Apparently yeah. it's supposed to be done by the end of the year. Um, Theoretically. Yeah. It's uh. <laughs> It's it's fun because it's just it's just a tall thing. You can do whatever the hell you want with it. It doesn't need to do anything structural. It's just there. It's a canvas to play with. It's great. <laughs> tall spiky things. Yes. <laughs> and that has been another thrilling installment of the lightning round. Uh, oh my god, there are so many more media properties to get through. <laughs> Eventually, we'll we'll get through them all in episode. Someday we'll run Google. out. <laughs> episode two not... google of os podcasts we will get all the lightning round suggestions done i do not share your confidence on that but we've got actual questions to get to the first of which is from one of our lovely patrons uh if you want to potentially have your question asked first on a future episode consider becoming a patron um this comes from ac morris to all i'm a big fan of your merch my desk is covered in stickers from redbubble what is your best-selling design on any merch platform, and what is your personal favorite design? Is is the theirs is the Tempest design? Ooh. Tempest is good. What's a Didn't what's a hot seller? And also, like a PDF what are your favorite top fifty Redbubble <laughs> selling things yeah, today? I, yes, um, for for complicated circumstances, um, we ended up getting a like here's your fifty best designs. Like, okay, neat, good to know. That wasn't the point of this conversation, but I'm glad we have this information now. <laughs> I don't know what our top one is, and Redbubble's dashboard makes it a little tricky to check. Um, it's probably extremely human person. Extremely human person is pretty popular. Um, a lot of our like older designs, like the Achilles and Patroclus era stuff, like the first wave of merch that's just been around forever. It's probably some of our most popular stuff just because it's like it's been there from the start. Um, mm -hmm. Those ones are pretty classic. A lot of the first wave of merch that, that I got back in the day when the goal of selling merch was to make enough money to pay for the merch that I bought for myself when we were at that phase <laughs> in the channel. Um, and eventually we did, uh, which is great. But I... Um, I like that I wish someone would look at me the way Blue looks at Venice. I like the let's do some history design because um, I can I can just kind of wear those ones and, and have it be fun. I don't wear them often. I, I've <laughs> recently stopped wearing my own merch shirts quite as much, but mm. I, uh, I've got some stickers. I, I get a lot of looks whenever I'm in public for the sticker that says, I'm just a slut for the classics <laughs> because the most yes. obvious word is the bright blue slut. So people You're see that and they're like, excuse me, sir, what the fuck are you talking I about? I on a mug. <laughs> Yeah, um, Seasons of Rome I have on my laptop, and that's a super popular one. People love that because it's just—it's yeah. a beautiful design. It's such a great joke. It works whether yeah. or not you know the channel. Um, mm -hmm. 
So I think my so obviously my, my personal favorite is the podcast logo available. <laughs> no, I love the nope mug. Just genuinely, oh, I use that thing all yes. the damn time. I think it's so funny for like the sight gag of it all. <laughs> Yeah. I, yeah, I love prop comedy, uh, and being able to create props for prop comedy is always a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, this is weird to me because, like all the art I make, as soon as I'm done with it, it sort of just slides out of my brain. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I like a lot of the designs, um, but oh, what's up? I've got one. The Arachne and Athena tapestries are, to this day, some of my favorite things that you've ever drawn. Just because there have Ooh, been, yeah. like, like loose depictions of, like, this is a, a rough artist's rendering of what this looks like. And you're like, fuck you guys. Here it is. <laughs> well, um, they gave enough details. Uh, yeah. So yeah. the fact that you can go to our store and just get Athena's tapestry, Arachne's tapestry, I find immensely cool. Yeah. I'm also, uh, I, I like that one a lot. I had fun making the Atlantis map. Because that was a very funny instance and like, yeah. wait a minute, Plato, this visual description makes no sense <laughs> geographically speaking or geometrically speaking. So that it's was an pretty MC Escher Atlantis. <laughs> the fact that I managed to pull it together regardless was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think that, that covers it. I mean, obviously, I love the pins. It's so cool to me. That, pins are like... far and away. That's almost the cheap answer because <laughs> it it's just but... like they're so, so, so enormously cool right, in what they like... are and how they look and how much people love them. Yeah, but like everything else is kind of print on demand. That's yeah. that's pretty simple. This is like, this is solid. This is yeah. sturdy. Yeah, it's of all the merch things we do, this is by far the most like the one that we treat as like an operation because like we can just put a new design on the, the store and it's like, okay, cool, cool, here you go, enjoy. But yeah. it's like, okay, pins, like treat it like generals in a battlefield. <laughs> like we got to make sure we got the timing right and do this and here's the strategy and we're going to pair it with these videos and yeah, it's worth it. Yeah. But. <laughs> yeah. Extremely cool. Well, this next question so comes from Lucy. This next question comes from Lucy, the Duchess. To Blue, if Lego ever sponsored you for another architecture set, which structure would you want to talk about? Ooh, yeah. So um, Lego had sponsored us in late 2020 when they were doing the Coliseum set, which was absolutely the coolest sponsorship deal I, I've ever had, at least. Yeah. Um, I, I was so excited to, to work with them on that. They were wonderful to work with. Uh, the team was great. Super um, excited for us to be there participating. Um, it was very helpful for all the stuff we were doing. Uh, the funny thing is that they went through all this effort to make this big live stream for announcing the Coliseum. But by the time the live stream started, it had already sold out. <laughs> so I can kind of sympathize with like, oh, uh, we loved working with you guys. Turns out we don't necessarily need this because it's going to sell anyway. It's like, you know, I respect that. It's it's a great set. It, it, yeah. it was fantastic. I wish it were mm-hmm. a little smaller so I could keep it and display it. I mean, I had to give it away. It's like I don't have anywhere to put this in our house. Um, but if they were to, to reach out to us again, the, the Pyramid of Giza set was fantastic. Um, oh, I yeah. loved that set. Uh, the only reason that I don't have it is because of godlike restraint. Um, but I... Just in general, the architecture series is so nice because it's small enough that it's easy to put on a desk. You know, like a Duomo would be cool. Um, a Doge's Palace facade would probably look really nice and you can do it flat. It wouldn't even take up that much space. Um, I'd love to see like a micro scale whole Acropolis, I think would be really, really sweet. Because um, you can get creative with like the Parthenon itself could be small, but like seeing the whole Acropolis and the whole scale of the thing, I think would be really cool. Uh, a Pantheon would be fantastic if you had like a removable dome so you could see inside i think that'd be pretty cool i mean there are a lot of good ones um out and around i think if they were feeling bold a notre dame set would kick ass because they've never done a full gothic cathedral like that and i think it would be a tremendous challenge because there's just so many fucking shapes coming off of that thing uh i think that would be an absolute masterpiece for them to do. And I'd love to have an excuse to talk about Notre Dame. So that's probably my answer. <laughs> my my non-obvious answer is Notre Dame, aside from all the Greece and Rome and Italy shit. <laughs> no, I love that. I think that's a really good idea. Yeah. Um, this next question comes from Not Kent. To all, what is your favorite region in Breath of the Wild? Ooh. Ooh, that's a great question. For yeah. colors, I think Akala is just so distinct from the rest of the the game just because yeah. it's all the fun trees and there's really cool weather effects up there with the rain that's the one that comes top of mind yeah i've recently mm. gotten very attached to hyrule field uh mm. but that's because i now have 
two out of three parts of the guardian armor fully leveled up <laughs> uh so i'm basically indestructible and it's very fun to go hunt down guardian stalkers and chop off all their legs so so i, I but also it's just beautiful it's like a wide open expanse of sunny grasslands and these beautiful stone ruins and the castle looming in the distance um yeah and once you get good uh it's pretty easy to just kill your way through it and then you can just relax and have fun on your horse yeah i i mean I can make yeah. a case for almost every region in Breath of the Wild being my favorite. I really like the area around um, Hateno with the dueling peaks Ooh, yeah. and the the mountains around there. The village is just so fun. I love Hateno Village. It's so so charming and pleasant just to be in. Mm-hmm. And it's close to a lot of cool stuff like the Lanayru area with the promenade. I just love um, mm. seeing the mountain and the dragon coming down towards you is just the coolest fucking thing. Yeah, Lanayru um, promenade is great. Yeah. I also really like, like gotta, Hylia. The bridge is really imposing and, and great. Yeah. I feel like I got to go to Bantha because I love gliding around places and there are so many tall things to climb up yeah. and then glide down from in that region. It's just, it's all, I mean, it's where the Rito Village is. It's designed for that. But I'm yeah. like, yeah, yeah, this yeah, is scratching the itch yeah. that I wanted it to. Yeah. I like also um, the Hebrew region. It's It doesn't mm. have a whole lot yeah. to do compared to no. some others. Uh but it's got the big laser hole in the mountain, uh, and Very it's cool. got one of the great leviathans, which is always fun. Yeah. Uh, and some like snowboarding challenges, which are pretty cool. I just yeah. like, in terms of the um, the the storytelling elements of it, uh, I think that the Hebra region is understated but extremely powerful, mostly because of the big laser hole in big it. Big laser hole. But this yeah. is another thing I like about Hyrule <laughs> I... Field. I've recently developed a habit of going to Hyrule Castle early, sometimes more than once, because you have to go there at least once to get one of the memories. Uh, and then you have to leave because after you get all 12 memories, you have to get a 13th one you can't unlock before that. Um, so the, the the game is intended to make you go to Hyrule Castle first, explore around, and then dip out and, and leave. Uh, but I've been doing it more than once because it's fun. And in terms of visual storytelling, Hyrule Castle in Ruins is oh genius. I yeah. love it. Um, and there's so many weird little secrets in it. There's like an excavated part in the library that looks like it's butting up against one of those big glowing guardian tower things that but Mm. if you think about the geometry that makes no sense because they emerged from like way farther out from the um from the map so what that actually is is the outer wall of the astral observatory where you fight ganon later so it's just it's just neat it feels so so creepy yeah i also love um just west of hyrule castle is probably the oldest part of Hyrule because you get basically right next to each other the Breach of Demise and, and the, the Forgotten, Forgotten Temple, Temple, which is just, oh man, the vibes there are <laughs> so, so ancient. It's yeah. so cool to, to explore around. It, it's not a region, but the specific location I like best is the Forgotten Temple. Like I get yeah. there as quickly as possible, get the shrine so I can just hang out. Yeah. Um, Ugh, yeah. It's just so I'm, fun. goes without saying, so goddamn excited for for tears of the kingdom we saw the at time of recording the trailer with gameplay dropped yesterday so we're just like oh my god oh my god combining weapons we can make a meat arrow there's a korok with a backpack i'm so excited for the backpack korok and the flying i'm sure this will not be the last time that we talk about breath of the wild before certainly uh, not you'll be lucky if i put out any real videos in may Uh, but speaking of real stuff, we got more questions to get to. This one comes from Parman and Balaji. To Red, do you have a favorite or least favorite trope out of all of your trope talks? Whew. Huh. I'm very fond of the one that just came out. Uh, but that's because that one was a rabbit hole. Um, one of the ones I keep coming back to is uh, the one about tragedies. Um let me just real quick load up the playlist and scroll through it. <laughs> it's Tragedies been a while. And, and dragons are two dragons, trope talks yeah. that fill mm-hmm. a similar space in my head in terms of like also along with the um the those dang phones one. Mm-hmm. Just in terms of how it is a a meta history of storytelling itself within yeah. the trope talk, mm-hmm. which I just love. I you know what? I really, really like the one on Kaiju, actually, uh, mm. because that one I felt like that was the first time that I really went into the like the cultural context of what exactly I was talking about. Uh, there's a few spicy takes in there. Uh, that's always a lot of fun. Um, and in terms of ones I didn't really like, I probably need to scroll earlier. Let's see. Um, yeah, 
I don't know. There's a few of these that I do differently now, um, or some of them that maybe I could have waited to do until I figured some of them out. Uh, I yeah. think the one about, like, early on, I was like, I got to get some big ones out of the way. I'm going to do strong female characters and Mary Sue's and manly men. And those are just me figuring out, like, the general space of gendered tropes. So it's yeah. subdivided in a way that, what's up? That reminds me of Queer Coded Villains being a later mm. addition to that kind of, like, soft mini-series within Trope Talks, which is an, just an excellent run-through of that whole thing. Yeah, and Queer Coded mm. Villains was, like, good. But this is a space where it's, like, this is such a complicated area that I don't think... Like, I think if I did those videos now, within a year, I'd be looking back like, oh, I hadn't figured out some stuff yet. Like, what am I doing? And, of course, looking back, it's like, oh, God, six years ago, what was... I was a baby. <laughs> I wasn't even out of college. What was I thinking covering such a Topic, but it's like I, I was never going to be ready uh, and I mm -hmm. think they probably hold up I haven't rewatched them in a while yeah. um, I do think the question was actually about the tropes themselves and not the videos but I do I, oh. I've always loved to hear about it. like <laughs> is there a trope that you've covered that you really like or that you really dislike mm. I tend to be pretty upfront when I don't like a trope and mm -hmm. when I really don't like it I often don't make a video about it because I feel like I'm not like the right person to talk about it um, that said, I did cover Grimdark, and that video is basically why I think it's stupid <laughs> a lot of the time. Uh, yeah, I was so I say, guess Grimdark that Grimdark and Fridging both kind of come to mind for things yeah. that might not be favorites. Yeah. yeah, I think they both have ways that you can do them right, but once you do them right, they stop being that thing. So it's yeah. like, if, if mm -hmm. you do a Fridging correctly, it's just a character death. If you do Grimdark correctly, <laughs> it's just a tragedy. Like, yeah. those are different things. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I think that's about right. Uh, Good save, and, Indigo. Thanks, yeah. <laughs> we would have just gotten very meta about how we think of these videos. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. Not that we can't do that. Uh, what is the point of this podcast if not to allow you to do so? But I do want to make sure we answer the question proper. Yeah. Um, yeah. Speaking of, we've got so many more of those to get to. This one comes from Evren to all who does your captions. Oh, usually us. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. we do have a very large team of like, just people who sort of email in, like, hey, I made a translated caption set for this video, which is great. Um, but the yeah. core English captions, we usually just upload our scripts and sometimes yeah. tweak them a little bit. We just throw them into a plain text file and then upload them that way. And then YouTube is usually <laughs> good enough to, to kind of sort it out and match the timing. So it's not formatted perfectly. Um, sometimes you have, like, I would have cut that line in a different spot. But it's like, you know, for an automatic thing, it's, it's pretty solid. Um, yeah. And we're glad that we're able to have captions, like, at time of upload for nearly all of our videos. Um, that's the detailed the diatribes that... don't, because they don't come with a script, so we have to yeah. go in manually later and like tweak them. But... Which, especially for the long guys, gets tough. <laughs> yes, um, but it's hard. We're, we're very proud to be able to, to offer those, like when the video goes up, like our, our myths, trope talks, history stuff, like they're all there. Um, and then we're very fortunate to have an enthusiastic um, gang of, of translators out there. Um, there are some people whose you know, names come in a lot because we get a lot of emails. There's um, uh, a viewer from um, uh, from Belgium who translates everything, or at least they go to university in Belgium. Mm. Hmm. You know? Well, they translate everything into Dutch. So all <laughs> of our videos are in Dutch because one viewer took it upon themselves to just go ham over the course of years yeah. and translate everything. So if you would like to see a, a video in your language, we have um, a link at the bottom of all our, our most recent videos since 2020 that goes to our community captions page on our website explaining here's how we do it. Here's the website that we use since YouTube took away the kind of built-in software for that. Apparently, they're going to re-implement it somehow, but last I heard about that was a year ago. So mm. um, for now, we have uh, we work through a third-party website called Amara where you can just go in, start translating with their software, download a file, send it to us, and then we'll upload it. If you want to see our videos in your language, um, that's the best way to, to make it accessible. Um, we're really glad that we can see like myths in the language of that culture. That's yeah. the coolest thing. Uh, there are a couple times when people have submitted Latin captions for some of my videos, uh, which is just way cool. Being able to to watch my my Sicily video in Italian and Latin rules. I love that. Um, I'm gonna eventually find someone to be like, "Can you translate my Rome resummarized videos into Latin?" Because <laughs> this experience for me, just for me, I want this to exist. Um, but it's it's so so cool, and we're very thankful for the. Uh, the diligent work of a lot of people who uh, volunteer to, to make this happen. And that's yeah. extremely cool. Very. Awesome. Um, well, thank you guys for all your translation work. But we've got more questions to translate into answered. So this comes from Lest Left Unsupervised. To all, what is your favorite flower? 
my mom famously, not famously, but like to me, famously loves orchids, but has a very hard time keeping them alive because orchids are very hard to keep alive. Notoriously so, so yes. <laughs> what was that? They're notoriously difficult to keep alive, yeah. Yeah. So I, uh, when the Lego Orchid set came out, I was like, here you go. They'll never die. <laughs> <Yay>! <laughs> the universe will explode and these guys will still be kicking around. Um, but my favorite flower, I mean, I grew up with a lot of orchids and lilies in the house, a rotating cast of orchids, very swiftly rotating cast of orchids. Um, but I am a sucker for the, the roses that like change color where it's like white to red or red to white. I think those are just fun. I mean, I'm a basic bitch for liking them, but I I do quite uh, enjoy those ones. Um, there are also, Sign uh, and I have um, in our house no real flowers because they can be toxic to cats. Mm. So we have wood flowers that are made by um, a company called Sola Wood Flowers and an artist on Etsy called uh, My Dinosaur Dreams that made all of the bouquets for our wedding um, were made of these little wooden flowers that are like softened and they have these scents and they can be dyed and all kinds of things. So we have these these beautiful bouquets of different like seasonal arrangements that we kind of swap in and swap out. Uh, and it's great because they're not toxic to cats. They're just they're just wood and paper. Yeah. Um, and they look completely convincing. So I uh, I like those a lot. My mom is a huge fan of, like, prairie wildflowers and stuff like that. Uh, so there, there's just a bunch of flowers in, like, my, my childhood home's gardens and stuff like that. Um, purple cone flowers I'm a big fan of. Uh, bee balm. I don't even remember what that one looks like, but it just <laughs> it's so pleasing to the, to the ear. Yeah. Uh, lilies of the valley are always fun. Uh, they do take over a little bit if you're not careful, but they're just so pretty. And, of course, the mm. part of the reason that they're so cool is that they bloom very early so it's like you can still have snow on the ground it's like there's these little white flowers just yeah. hanging out um violets uh i i like a lot also i think it's it's myrtle uh which is this sort of like vine with these pale purple flowers on it um i i think that's correct actually let me just check looks uh, like it <laughs> looks like mm -hmm. it yeah, uh, it's like yeah. they're they're not the same as violets, but uh, when when I was very small, our backyard had a ton of violets in them to the point where it's like, oh, we got to get rid of some of these. Uh, so they <laughs> they got like dug up, and then the myrtle took over instead. So we still had just a ton of these beautiful little purple flowers. Um, nice. And uh, yeah, I don't know. There, there's a lot. Uh, I don't tend to have very strong opinions about individual ones. Um, there is a uh, a really cool flower that's uh, been planted in Iceland called the Nukta lupine, which is a purple flower that spreads really, really fast. That they're planting in an attempt to kind of like like softly regreen Iceland, except it's a purple flower. <laughs> so there's just these whole like treeless landscapes of just purple, <laughs> which is so cool. I'm <laughs> sorry, Red, I interrupted. Iceland I was just forced. like, what's the purple Iceland flower? Because you made me think of purple flowers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, like, I... I don't really have a specific favorite flower, but they're, I don't know. I just like flowers in general. They're pretty. Mm -hmm. It's cool to be walking around in the spring and just being like, whoa, that person's got beautiful flowers in their yard, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> um, yeah. I always really like the um, crocuses that tend to pop up on the East Coast, like really early spring. They're just like the mm -hmm. little tiny purple ones that just, yeah, wherever they feel like going. But I think technically if I, if you, if I had to pick a favorite flower, I would go with wisteria, but that has been somewhat co-opted by the demon slayer fans as being a, for them but now i like it because it's in all those british murder mystery shows when they're in like a country cottage there's all these oh, purple totally flowers different. dangling around it's different yeah <laughs> but I, I just think they're really i like the idea of a house covered like yeah. this whole side in like ivy and flowers and all that yeah. I do also think that between um, the red maples and the sakura trees, Japan just wins trees for those two alone. <laughs> like, damn, those are good. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, I also got uh, a rep, uh, clover. Just like, yeah. it, it's so simple, but so useful. And it's nitrogen fixing. So, you know, <laughs> we stand a bitch with a day job. <laughs> nice. Well, we got time, speaking of my day job, for one last question. So <laughs> let's let's jump over to this one from Covert Kitten and uh, revisit Hyrule. Uh, to all, it's Hyrule pre-Calamity and good news, a fifth divine beast has been on Earth. Even better news, you are the champion destined to pilot it. What animal is your divine beast based on? Where in Hyrule do you base the beast? What would your champion ability be? And how does the beast terrorize the region since bad news, Calamity Ganon still corrupts it? So, I'm uh, sorry, did you, you say are... it's a squirrel? I want a squirrel <laughs> divine beast. I don't know how it's going to work. I just I need to start with this concept and world build it out to fit. Okay. But, like, Where the concept would of a the squirrel, squirrel divine beast. Sense? 
Like, what region do you see the squirrel as being in? It's Korok gotta be in woods. the Faron region. <laughs> or the Faron region. Yeah, yeah. woods. Um, admittedly, a divine beast in the in the Korok woods uh, would very dramatically change the timeline because if Ganon can wreak havoc there and kill the Deku tree, the Master Sword is not getting protected. Oh, um, fuck. You know, I was thinking of, like, all the Koroks getting together for a whimsy-powered railgun. But, <laughs> no, damn, this is the bad ending. Okay, Squirrel's not going to cut it. <laughs> Red, what's your idea? Squirrel works in the Faron Woods. That's okay. It just can't be in the okay. Deku Forest. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, here's the thing. I am a basic Twilight Princess bitch. I want it to be a wolf. Uh, in the early designs for the uh, motorcycle, instead of having a little unicorn horn, it had like a wolf head. And I was like, that would have been so much cooler. That would have been so uh, cool. And also, Shout out to that Zeltic video from yeah, like two yeah, yeah, weeks yeah. ago. <laughs> and also in the, uh, well, four weeks at time of release, basically. Oh, but also man. at the, um, uh, in Twilight Princess, they refer to Link's transformed form as a divine beast. And when I saw that, I did the little DiCaprio pointing meme. Uh, <laughs> so I think it's got to be a cool ass wolf. Uh, and I think it's got to hang out like in the Hebra region because that one's still like yeah. loose uh, yeah. and you know available. Uh, I think it's it's obviously got like the 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 laser and like the jaws kind of just like uh, yeah. or like a little between the eyes kind of forehead laser you know mm. Taioken kind of situation. Yeah. Um, oh, what was it? Champion abilities and like how does it wreak havoc? Um, yeah, and inevitably you do fall to the equivalent. I guess the problem is the Hebrew region is pretty much uninhabited. So I guess it's like the bane of snowboarders everywhere. <laughs> Although Causes avalanches and whatnot. Yeah. That could be kind of cool if it's more of like a shadow of the Colossus thing. If it's kind mm -hmm. of like hemmed into the region by other stuff. Because uh, the Hebrew region is already a little bit difficult to get to. Uh, yeah. But it's just like there's a divine beast on the prowl and you actually have to like kind of hunt it down yourself. Uh, I think that could be pretty neat. Um Oh man, champion powers, champion powers. I like Link's time slow ability so much. I abuse bullet time <laughs> furiously, so. Hmm. I. Okay, I have um, one reference to a, a possible cut divine beast and Ooh. one actual horrifying idea yes. um there was apparently um supposed to be you know many more concepts of divine dbs that got cut um one that i saw a video on semi-recently was about a like manta ray whale hybrid divine yeah. beast where you see a model for it in the hatino tech lab mm -hmm. and one of the theories is that it was supposed to go in the Nakluda Sea, where there's currently nothing, but could have been a giant fucking manta ray whale monster in there. Mm, would have been horrifying for me personally. Like that, yeah. But oh man, that would have been cool. Would have been. Uh, <laughs> but that's again, we're just recreating parts of Shadow of the Colossus at yeah, this point, which is fine. I, I think game. one concept that could either be really cool or just really terrifying is if the Sheikah we're like, okay, so the three great dragons are pretty cool. What if we had one? So they essentially <laughs> built a divine beast great dragon that's just flying around in the sky. What is this Mecha Godzilla ass? <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking that'd be well, cool. My first answer like... was a squirrel, so I think that really spans the the range of the kind sure. of divine beast we can have. Uh, the dragon one could be cool options. though, because like every time I went through Fair in the Rainforest part, and then like they're like, do the jaws of the dragon quest. I'm like. There should be a giant dragon robot underneath here. Like, this is... It should emerge from the ground, and it should just be a big dragon. Like, I think that yeah, we yeah. all assume this. Yeah. It could dive into the lakes and whatnot. So I'm... That could be pretty cool. I'm on board with Blue. I think it's ridiculously overpowered, but it would be so, so, so fun. Dragon. So yeah. I think the champion powers that we're thinking of should be approached from a game design perspective. Yes. I think that they should... A good game design perspective. A good game design perspective. Naturally. Naturally, yes. I think, <laughs> I think that they should either fill a hole in the existing uh, structure of or the Hebrew game. Mountain. <laughs> or Hebrew Mountain, yeah. Or they should um, augment a part of the gameplay that's already present. Uh, yes. For instance, I think it would be good if Link had some kind of baseline attack he could do when he didn't have a weapon equipped. Yes. I think, like, mm. I, I've been joking, like, Breath of the Wild needs a punch button, you know, whatever. So I think either some kind of, like, like... Kuwabara energy sword situation or or some other similar like here's my divine be my champion ability throwing hands uh just I mean, to give if you're yeah. doing the wolf you can have some kind of like claws thing that you can use this is true but now we're developing a character from my champion self-insert that's a little too mm. furry for my taste oh. <laughs> <laughs> piloting the wolf doesn't make that happen <laughs> 
Daruk's in a lizard. I don't see him skittering across any walls. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, fair enough. Anyway. Hey. I, the developers are uh, cowards. He should be skittering across the walls. Yes. But yes, I think some kind of like like baseline empty-handed attack uh, that, that Link can get with maybe like a limited charge. Essentially, it's got a weapon durability of its own, and then it takes a certain mm-hmm. amount of time to reset, similar to the Master Sword. Um, but yes, I just think that would be neat. Just becomes Wolverine. I'm imagining like um, some kind of, not like a, a, a random, like just punch mechanic, but like a, a, an empty handed takedown because if it's a champion ability from a gameplay perspective, it has a couple uses and then it recharges. So doing yeah. it as like a, basically a one hit free KO, no weapons without mm-hmm. having to use the lightning. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I think that's how it could work like in game mechanically and not just become a punch button because then it's like you still want to have like the pizzazz of it being like boom I used the champion ability yeah, you know yeah 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 mm-hmm. yeah yeah that yeah. makes sense uh no, so in that case it would probably be similar to Urbosa's fury in that it has probably three charges per, per cooldown probably uh so you can just do like one free takedown per or like three free takedowns per use uh, with like limits, I think maybe like it, it does a set but large amount of damage. So like it takes a chunk out of a Lionel, but you can't like insta kill anything beyond like a red Lionel with it or something like that. Yeah. Um, although it would be very fun to just punch one and it just explodes. Um, <laughs> in the same way that using the one hit obliterator yesterday was an awful lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> just I home run okay. bat. <laughs> My champion ability dubbed the home run bat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I here's my concept for a for a dragon related ability. Mm-hmm. Yes. If you are in the air, whether you're paragliding or anything, you know that that glitch where like you you holster a weapon and get ready to throw it and you're falling and you throw it right before you land and then you like you you land perfectly yeah, the, fine on the, the ground. Fall damage cancel. What I would do as a version of a fall damage cancel is where if you're you're paragliding or you're like you're in bullet time or you're just falling you can take a weapon out and then you go into like a version of bullet time and you throw the weapon into an enemy and then it connects and then you basically like flash teleport to the enemy like Gundam style slice them in half as a way to fall damage cancel where you get back to ground level having just clowned on a fool and decapitated them or fully bisected them. This sounds like a tweaked version of the Leviathan Axe, and I like it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's basically a, like, I am very high up. I want to be at ground level and that person to be in half. Mm. I feel like to Swish. throw a third hypothetical Divine Beast into here, because I've been yes, staring yes. at the map of yes. Hyrule, like, what is the options? Um, there's so many horses in Breath of the Wild, and they're so important, and there is not a horse divine beast, then I'm going to put my own personal beef aside for a second to game this out. Divine beast va epona, obviously. <laughs> yes. Uh, I think you put them, because the horse god shrine is pretty close by, but like put them in the, like right near the bridge of Hylia in the lake. And then the damage effect to the region could be that they're like churning up the waters running around it. Because water horses are like a thing in a lot of mythology. Yeah, it's like a oh, mythological, yeah. yeah. Kind of yeah. tracks. Um, it's president. For the, and I feel like the effect that they give you could be something related to the steed, which is such an important mechanic in the game. Um, I'm just not quite sure what that looks like yet. But hmm. needless to say, I do think when you eventually cleanse the divine beast, it should be up in the big, the the rearing rearing stance. pose over the yeah. bridge, here's, so that when you walk under the concept. bridge, the hooves are on top. Oh, I love that. The special ability could be uh, a traversal aid for the horse. The one thing that horses really can't do is jump. And Elden Ring showed that having a horse that can jump is really cool and really useful. So I'd imagine like like a certain amount of charges for a horse jump would be pretty cool. Or like mm. a horse kick. So or the horse could kick. actually defend itself. Yeah. I just feel like the ability of your champion has very little to do with the divine beast in question a lot of the time. I mean, Naboris has the lightning true. and stuff like that. But like, you know, Varuda has nothing to do with Mipha's Grace healing you. Um yeah, I don't know. With Ravala, you get the flight, so it's you have two strong cases. Of course, cases he was for... in the bird one. <laughs> well, yeah, but so like, there's two strong cases of no correlation, and two cases where it's like, okay, well, lightning, lightning, and then the bird is like, well, bird and flying. So there's, I think there, there's, there's justification to go either way. Yeah, I think that uh, for maximum horror, you know how uh, Varudania's face does the, like the kind of yeah. predator yes. thing. Uh, yes. I think the horse one should do that too. 
Oh, yes. <laughs> I think, like, the jaw should just kind of split just all the like... way back, and then the head just folds back <laughs> oh the laser God. fires. Absolutely terrifying. Well, we got to highlight yeah. how horrifying it is. Yeah, so, like, the jaw, like, unhinges at the bottom and then separates in half and folds away, and then the, the, just the, the top, top half of the horse just, <laughs> like, the Iron Man mask. Oh, nice. my gosh. Oh, I love um, that. <laughs> well, these all sound terrifying. I'm so glad that we've made Link's journey that much more perilous. Yeah. Um, I'm going to activate my You've got my two months, Nintendo. Champ. Make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> There's still time. Be that not a coward, Shigeru Miyamoto. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to activate my champion power to end this podcast. Red, are you ready to take us out? Only if I get the cool wolf version. <laughs> Thank you all so much for listening. We'll be back in two more weeks with a much more normal podcast recorded much closer to the actual upload time. With a guest. With I a guest. About that. We have a oh, guest. Yes. yes, sorry. It's not actually going to be normal. Is Oh, no, yes. This is the normal one. There's going to be the, the weird one. one. Yeah. There, there's, sorry. There's also going to be a weird one. Yes? Yeah. So, okay. uh, this episode, so next this episode, next. we will have uh, Sarah Z as a guest on the podcast. And then there may mm-hmm. be a bonus episode coming in the future, but we have not locked that one completely down yet. Oh, so we're okay. not going to talk My about confusion. it quite. Sorry, we're just going to record it soon. Take, do I want to yeah. take that again? Nah, oh, we got to own it. A true wolf does no retakes. We'll be back in a certain number of weeks with more podcasts. Stay tuned. It'll be great. We're also experimentally putting up the little promo thing on, uh, on YouTube so that people can see them and hopefully they like them. Uh, yeah, let so. us know what you think, because there's a lot of our YouTube audience that doesn't know we have a podcast. We want to find the the most entertaining and least intrusive way to do that. So instead of bombarding the community tab with like, hey, podcast, it's like here, just you can listen to the thing. Yeah. The cold open. <laughs> um, I think that's about us covered. Oh, also the uh, spring cleaning sale. Check that yeah. out on CrowdMade. Uh, so that that'll be that'll be fun. There's always more pins. Play more Breath of the Wild and uh, yes. Cheers of the Kingdom when it comes out. I think we're about covered. That's yeah, great. Okay, so until next time, I've been Red. I've been Blue. This has been an overly sarcastic podcast. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast. We'll be back on April 26th with another thrilling installment, but if you miss us before then, be sure to check out Overly Sarcastic Productions on YouTube. Got a question for the pod? Head over to Ask OS Pod on Discord for a chance for your question to be featured in a future episode. If you enjoyed the show, please rate us and leave a review on your preferred podcast platform. And if you really enjoyed the show, consider becoming a patron. Links to all that and more can be found in the show notes below.